Many may be seated. Pray with me one more time. Father, let the lyrics that we just sung be true in our hearts as it was loud from our mouths. That you are, we find you to be our righteousness and our holiness. And that now we have confidence and boldness to approach your throne, not based on our own morality or anything else, but based on the righteousness of Christ imputed to us through his sacrifice on the cross when he took our sins upon himself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, our sermon today will be taken from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 to 2. However, the scripture reading, uh, we will cover 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. This is the word of God. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into the household and capture the weak woman, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as James and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reproof, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, 
and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Thus says the Lord. Well, do keep this sheet in front of you open so we can keep the text in front of us. As I mentioned, we'll be looking specifically at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. Before I read those out again for us, let me say what a joy it is to be with you here. Uh, as Chris brought the greetings from the church in Ealing, I'm, uh, I, I have the status that we'll be giving Gray. I serve as, an, as a missionary elder in a church in Paris, and so I bring greetings from the church that I serve in Paris as well. And it's my pleasure to bring those greetings. So our text today 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that the saving power of your word would be at work in us today. And so, our Father, we pray that you would help us to attend to it diligently, readily and prayerfully, to receive it with faith and love, lay it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. This we ask in the strong name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, blessed forever. Amen. Well, you may be wondering what on earth we're doing here today. Uh, you may have come because you love Gray or you love this church. Uh, but if you had to describe to someone what it is that this service is for, uh, apart from the simple fact that we're, we're making Gray a pastor uh, or a minister or a teaching elder, what's the big deal? What's the significance of it? Why on earth would two people fly from the other side of the world just for this? Or let's even take a step back and ask, what's so important about the church? What's so important about Christianity, about Jesus? You may think maybe of Jesus as a religious leader, a great teacher that people told out of the ordinary stories about to underline how special he was. Uh, maybe a moral guide. But let me give you the two-word definition that one prominent theologian gave of Christianity. Uh, this theology professor called Warfield, when asked, said that Christianity is nothing other than unembarrassed supernaturalism. Unembarrassed supernaturalism. And while that definition may not give you the heart of the content of the message, it shows to us that it is not about what any of us try to do. It is not even about what God inspires us to do, but about what God has done himself and what he is doing. This service today isn't about Gray's desire to be a generally pious and honorable man, or his desire to teach others to be like that, or to be a leader in a religious organization. 
It's not about Gray's career. It is about something much bigger. It's about his being a part of something bigger and being called to play a particular role in the kingdom that the risen, resurrected King Jesus is building. And in this text that we have before us on the sheet, we are allowed into the control room, as it were, to learn how this kingdom is going to be built. Here is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. He can see that his death is now not far off, and he knows that the age of the apostles is drawing to a close, and it's time to transition into the age that has lasted for almost 2,000 years now, when the church is to be led by elders or ministers whom Christ gives to the church. And he's writing to a particular minister whose life he has been particularly invested and whom he loves dearly as a son. He's, he's handing the baton to the next generation and he gives this solemn charge. And this charge puts on display front and center the heart of God's plan for how his kingdom under the rule of the risen King Jesus is going to grow. It's the heart of how the church is to grow. It's the heart of what any minister is called to. It's the heart of what I am called to. It's the heart of what the Lord Jesus is commissioning Gray to today. And here is what Paul is saying. Do you see the charge there in verse 2? Preach the word. It's simple enough as a charge. There's what he is to do, preach, and what he is to preach, the word. Timothy here is solemnly charged to preach. He is not called to suggest or advise. He's not only called to explain or teach, but to preach, proclaim, announce the word. And that not merely announcing the way a journalist or a TV newsreader might. As one theologian that Gray may have heard of, a man called Bavink, said, it's not just about demonstrating and narrating. It's about offering. It's announcing news that has real implications for all who hear. Timothy was as Gray will be, a commissioned messenger, commissioned by the Lord Jesus himself, given authority to deliver his word in his name, offering his salvation on his behalf. And that is significant authority. But it is a limited authority because what he may proclaim in, in God's name is limited. He may only preach the word the word having been clearly defined and described back in chapter 3, verse 16, which you have on the, other, on the other page there. It's the holy scriptures. The word that he is to preach is a supernatural book. This supernatural book, it's been breathed out by God. Yes, it was written by men in their way and in their style. And at the same time, and more importantly, it was breathed out by God. It's the book of the covenant. It's the book that lays out the covenant relationship between God and his people. And he appoints men to preach it, 
to make it known, to spread the word, and to preserve and deepen that covenant relationship between man and God. It is, as we see in verse 16, the book that teaches. It tells me the truth and explains the world I live in. It's the book that rebukes or reproves. Because as I read it, I find that it's actually reading me and pinpointing things in my life that are not the way they should be and tells me about what I should be doing that I'm not doing. It's a book that corrects Verse 16, it tells me how things should be, how I ought to be living. And it's the book that trains in righteousness. It tells me there is a way to be right with God again. There is a way for my relationship with my maker to be restored and preserved. And I can live in a way that in that relationship each day. That's what this book is useful for, Paul says in chapter 3, verse 16. He goes on to say that it does these things to perfect and equip the man of God for every good work. Now, when Paul says man of God, you could take that to mean anyone who is a Christian. And it's certainly true that the scripture plays that that, that role in the lives of all believers. But he also seems to be using that phrase, man of God, in a specific way. You see, man of God was one of the Old Testament's ways of referring to a prophet The Bible is a book that equips all people, yes, but Paul wants Timothy to think specifically about how it equips God's prophets because that ultimately is what he is called to be, a prophet. Not in the sense of predicting the future, not in the sense of bringing new revelation from God, but in the sense of being God's messenger, being the man who stands and says, thus says the Lord. A man who takes what is said in the Bible and declares and announces its message. It's a demanding task. It demands rigorous training and preparation. Uh, Gray and I both had the privilege of studying for a few years at a seminary, at the same one, where where it was made clear, very clear, that while there is a whole range of expectations and qualifications for ministry, Their job at this seminary was to get us to be specialists in the Bible because the Bible's message, in all its richness and diversity and depth, is what the prophets of this current age are called to proclaim and offer until King Jesus comes back. That is the charge. That is the calling to be a prophet, to be a man of God, to be one who preaches the word. That is the basic, irreducible minimum of what a minister is, one who preaches the word faithfully and competently. That is the skeleton, if you will, of what a preacher is. But if that is the skeleton, then what we see in verse 1 of chapter 4, and what we're going to focus on for the rest of our time here, is the fire in the minister's bones Jeremiah spoke of having fire in his bones, and verse 1 tells us a bit more of that fire. It's easy to scan over those words of verse 1, isn't it? Thinking he's just using some big words, some grand words and grand ideas, just to underline the seriousness and the solemnity of his charge in verse 2, and they do do that. But he really is saying something about the charge in verse 1. 
He's, as it were, painting that fire in the minister's bones. And what we'll do now is give our attention for the rest of our time to these uh, things in verse 1. So as we look at verse 1, we see there are three colors, as it were, that Paul uses to paint this fire in his bones. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. That's the first thing. Then by his appearing and then by his kingdom. So let's take those three in turn. First of all, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. There are a number of things that this first color legitimately brings to mind. First of all, we can think of how it relates to all people. The mention of God's presence relates to us all, of course, in the simple fact that God is present everywhere. The presence of God is where every man, woman, boy, girl lives, wherever they are. Whether one goes to the heights or to the depths, he is there. As a Latin phrase that's often used to express this, we live coram Deo. We all live before God, before his face, in his presence. As we consider any duty that we have as human beings, beings made in God's image, we should know and remember that we are to live where we do live in God's presence. Not everyone believes that, of course. Uh, Some people do all they can not to think about it, but that doesn't make God any less present. We all live in God's presence. And we should consider specifically that we live in the presence of him who is to judge the living and the dead. God the Son, who took on a human nature, and through his perfect life rewarded with resurrection, he earned the right to be God's king and judge of all mankind, the living and the dead. But a second way we can think of God's presence as Paul gives this charge is how it relates specifically to Timothy. We can think of the promise of the Lord Jesus always to be with those he commissioned to make disciples at the end of Matthew's gospel. But also here again at the end of chapter 3, as he did at the end of chapter 3, Paul is letting that echo ring in Timothy's mind that he is a man of God. He is in a sense a prophet. And we regularly read in the Old Testament as well as in the New with Paul himself that when God's messengers are called and commissioned, they were brought into God's presence. Whether through dreams or visions or experiences beyond our understanding, they were brought into God's throne room in his holy heavenly temple. And there they were given the commission And so as an apostle, as a mouthpiece of God, Paul says to Timothy, man of God, as you are in God's presence, and in his presence, I charge you to preach the word. And then a third way of thinking of this mention of God's presence is to consider how it relates to God's people. Back at the beginning of our service here today, something remarkable, something supernatural happened but you may not have noticed it. Chris, an elder in Christ's church, led us with the words of scripture that were a call to worship. And you wouldn't have seen anything else happen, but something remarkable 
did happen. At that moment, by faith and by the power of the Spirit, we entered God's presence in a particular way, all of us here. You may not have thought of a call to worship like that. You may not feel like that's the case. But we are now in God's presence in a particular way. The writer to the Hebrews gives us words to describe what happens when the church gathers for worship in Hebrews 12. He says, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Right now, I am further away from home than I have ever been. Until I arrived here uh, on Thursday night, I had never been even on the southern hemisphere of the planet. As I flew here, I could see on the little screen with the little plane, I saw countries on there that I think of as places that are just unbelievably far away, and I flew right over them. And I wasn't even halfway here. And yet, when the call to worship was given, if I dare to believe it, by faith, I am back in the most familiar place in all creation. Where I have been countless thousands of times before, I am back on Mount Zion. I am here at the heavenly Jerusalem, and I'm here with people who I've been here with before countless thousands of times. It's just we've never seen each other here before. And then when the newly ordained Gray gives the benediction later, I'll go back to only being in Jakarta. But it, by faith, in grace pronouncing the benediction, I will have heard God himself pledging that he is with me. And then tomorrow morning, we'll have the great privilege of coming back here to Mount Zion again on the Lord's Day to worship him. So then, Timothy says, Paul, when you preach to the congregation, remember that you have come especially to God's presence Remember that you preach in the presence of the judge. And remember that the church has not gathered to hear your thoughts. She has gathered to meet with God and to hear God by the means of your declaring his word as God's servant. Timothy, he says, you come into God's presence to listen to God. So speak his words and trust that God loves to speak to his people. He is much more eager to speak to his people than you are to preach his word. Trust him to speak, call on him to speak. So that's the first color of this fire in the minister's bones, the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Well, the second thing that Paul looks to, this second color, as it were, to paint the fire in the minister's bones, as you'll see in verse 1, is his appearing, meaning the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what could that mean? Well, there are essentially two things he could mean, and it may mean that he does mean both of them, at least in part, though he's probably emphasizing the second of, of these two things. Because when we think of the appearing of Jesus Christ, we can speak of it in two main ways or even in two phases. When we speak of his first appearing or the first stage of his appearing, we're speaking of when God the Son, the second person of the Godhead, sent by the Father, willingly took a human nature and was what we call incarnate. 
He who was always the image of the invisible God became a visible human being. Such that he could tell his disciples, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. No one has seen God, says the Apostle John, but the only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. But he didn't just appear so that people could take a good look at him. He appeared to do something. He appeared to be the human being none of us could ever be. He appeared to represent us before God. He appeared to transform us and to give us eternal life. We, we had a representative called Adam, our first father, but he decided to become a rotten representative and a rotten father. He had a dreadful record, and his dreadful record was ours. And his corrupted, rebellious nature is our corrupted, rebellious nature. But as soon as Adam took that step, God promised that Christ would appear. And appear he did. He appeared as a new representative to whom we could transfer. He lived a perfect life of obedience such that none of us, even now, can truly imagine how deep and pure his obedience truly was. And his obedience extended to the willingness to pay the price that we owe. The only way anyone could benefit from his perfection, the only way anyone could transfer representation to him, was for Jesus to voluntarily take responsibility for our rebellion and corruption and be punished for it himself. And that is just what he did when he was crucified for us and for our salvation. That is what his first appearing accomplished and God rewarded that obedience by bringing him not just back from death but bringing him out the other side beyond death to resurrected eternal life full of the Holy Spirit. He made him king and lord of all God gave him all authority in heaven and earth. So now, while he is ascended in his throne room in heaven, hidden from our sight, he is building his kingdom until his second appearing. We've already seen that at this second appearing, the Lord Jesus Christ will judge the living and the dead. And that judgment will be a part of the greater thing that his second appearing will achieve he will transform the whole universe. He will make all things new. He will make a new heavens and a new earth. The resurrection transformation that he experienced 2,000 years ago will at his second appearing fully ripple out to the whole of creation to restore it and bring it fully to where God had always planned for it to get to in the first place. And so, of course, the appearing of Christ and the amazing transformative power of his appearing must be at the heart of the message that Timothy is to proclaim. But more than that, as Paul charges Timothy by his appearing, he is bringing to his mind that Christ's appearing changes things. It did change everything, and it will change everything. He changed things forever at his first appearing, and this time that we're living in now is simply the waiting period for the second appearing. It's the period when by the power of the Spirit 
And in, uh, and in his word, Christ is bringing those who believe in him from death to life. Timothy says, Paul, preach on behalf of him who changes things, changes people, transforms people, and preach the transforming message of what he's done and will do, and trust him to change things. <coughs> Expect the preaching of the word to change things. If you don't expect the preaching of the word when you hear it to change you and change others, you don't yet understanding what, understand what preaching is. If you don't pray for preaching to change you and change others, you haven't grasped that it's about God transforming people through his word. Not just teaching people truth. Not just equipping people to seek out and produce their own transformation. The word is working in people's hearts as they hear to transform them. And so thirdly, a third aspect of this fire in the minister's bones, Paul charges Timothy by his kingdom in verse 1. The presence of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ and Christ's appearing with the change that that appearing will affect, they're all about the kingdom that Christ is establishing. He promised to build his church. And that is what he is doing through the power of his word and spirit. The change that preaching affects by the spirit's power is to bring people into the kingdom, into the church. It brings them under the reign and rule of King Jesus. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, in one of its most beautiful sentences, tells us that Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself. He saves us from ourselves, from our unruly, rebellious natures, and he subdues us to himself. He brings us into his kingdom once and for all. And he continues through the preaching of his word to bring us more and more into submission to his reign. The word is the scepter with which he rules his kingdom. So Timothy Paul says, as you preach the news of King Jesus, remember he is at work in your preaching to build his kingdom and to bring his subject into joyful obedience to him. So what is the Lord teaching us in this short text? He is teaching us that a minister is to preach God's word because he is commanded by the Lord Jesus in his presence to bring people into his kingdom through his life-changing word. A minister is to preach God's word because he is commissioned by the Lord Jesus in his presence to bring people into his kingdom through his life-changing word. And the whole weight of the scriptures undergirds this lesson. What gripped people about Jesus' own earthly ministry was not so much the amazing miracles he performed, but his teaching just as all the prophets of the Old Testament had been preaching God's word, and in Christ they heard in his teaching the voice and authority of God. And it is his voice we hear when we, the church, gather together, wherever in the world we are. The teaching of Christ is what we hear when his word is faithfully preached. 
Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 23, you all have one teacher. The church has only one teacher. So long as the church's many ministers are preaching the word faithfully, we have only one teacher, Christ. You also see in, in that great commission Christ gave to his apostles, the commission that they entrusted to us elders who would follow them, that they are to make disciples through baptism, bringing them into the kingdom, and teaching them everything Christ commanded. And when he said everything I commanded, that includes all of the Bible. As Christ himself made clear in John 5 and Luke 24, the whole of the Bible is about Jesus and his suffering and his glory. Then as we read in the book of Acts, one of the ways the author Luke describes the church, the kingdom of Christ growing, is by saying the word increased. That's another way of saying people's lives were saved. When the word increased, people's lives are saved. And we see that preaching is not just about announcing historical events. Every sermon in the book of Acts talks about the resurrection. But ultimately, what people need to be persuaded of was not the mere fact that he is risen, but of what the resurrection changed for them. It was proof that he has been appointed judge and Lord of all. And of course, there's, only, there's no other way that the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the church, could be built. It has to be through preaching. Nothing else will truly transform us. It can't be through, through spectacle and show. Not even seeing miracles. No matter how amazing a thing you see, the wonder of it will eventually wear off. And it can't just be through rules and commands. If we were dogs, it could be a lot easier. Uh, we could just be taught a few commands, sit, heal, lie down, and after a few attempts with some treats and food and everything we need, we would fall in line. But as humans made in God's image, who need to be deeply transformed, not just in our behavior, but in our very souls, from death to life, we need preaching. It's not just any speech, but one preaching by, by one who has been duly sent by and accompanied by the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Because such is the darkness of our souls, so dark that they are really by nature dead. It must be supernaturally empowered, spirit-empowered preaching. And it has to be God's word that is preached. It can't be the opinions of some guy who just feels like preaching. Even if he says that God told him to do it, it can't be the opinion of someone who's just spent a lot of time praying. A minister must be committed to knowing, being equipped by, and preaching what the word says. I remember once attending a conference, uh, it was a Christian conference, and I was sitting at lunch with an older experienced minister uh, to whom I've looked up for a long time. And he asked a few of us uh, what, what we thought of the sermon we had heard that morning at the conference. I must confess, I don't really remember what the sermon was about uh, or what I thought of it even, uh, but I do remember what my friend said in response. I think he was broadly positive, but he, he did say this one thing that I'll never forget. That the preacher that morning had committed one absolute no-no in my friend's book. He had used the words, I want, in a sermon. 
And so said my friend, any minister of the word who says, I would like to say, or I want to look at such and such with you, anything like that, any minister who says that should be shot in the legs. What the minister wants to say could not matter less. And the pulpit is not where he should say it. The minister is to preach what God wants to say. I spent a few years serving at a church that at one time got a brand new speaker system installed. It was some fancy system that required anyone who was ever speaking on the platform to have their own personal levels checked so that each person could have their own special setting and their own special button when they were on the platform. I was one of the few who would occasionally lead in reading or praying. So I just went and I read a short passage and they got my level quite easily and that was that. But of course the minister spoke a lot, a lot more than, than we would, and he used a much wider range of his voice uh, than any of us. So he had to give us sort of a pretend sermon up there. So he announced his text, the nursery rhyme, Little Bo Peep. Little Bo Peep has lost her sheep and doesn't know where to find them. Leave them alone, and they'll come home wagging their tails behind them. And then he went on to expound this nursery rhyme. He told us of little Bo Peep and the anguish and the distress of her situation. She'd lost her sheep, and she was utterly clueless. She had no way of knowing where to find them. What could she possibly do? And then came the command and a promise, leave them alone. Simply leave them alone. Why? Because they will come home. And so he went on. It was a pretty amazing thing to behold, uh, this preacher that we were so used to hearing uh, preaching God's word. Here he was passionately expounding little Bo Peep. It was entertaining, it was gripping, it was rousing even, and it had no real impact on me whatsoever. It didn't change me in the slightest. It did no real good to me. Why? Because it was not God's word. But when a minister commissioned by the Lord Jesus preaches God's word in his presence, God brings his people into his kingdom through his life-changing word. That is the commission that we, with the authority that Christ has delegated to us, are here to give gray today. So what all that means for us is that we must understand and believe that what we have come to do and witness today is not about the personal preferences and career choices of one man. It is about Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, building the church for whom he died in order to provide her with his righteousness, his clean, beautiful record, and his ensuring that it continues to be built all around the world. It's Christ commissioning another servant to serve in his kingdom. And it means each time that we come to a gathering of the church, we are to know and believe that we are meeting not only with each other, but mainly with God, meeting with God together and hearing Christ teach us from his throne in such a way that it will save and transform us. It doesn't mean that we believe everything any minister says or follow anyone who just decides to become a minister, we can be comforted here that there are standards and expectations and limits. 
a minister must know and may only preach the word. That is a safeguard and a comfort for those who have been damaged and hurt in the past by false or unfaithful or poorly qualified preachers. But we are not called to listen to everyone who calls themselves a pastor. This does mean, however, that we are all required to listen and to submit to the faithful preaching of God's word. Whether or not you call yourself a Christian here today, God is saying to you, all of us here, God is saying to you that you must listen to his word. You must listen to the Bible and submit where it is preached accurately. As I hope I've made clear from this passage, to listen to the faithful preaching of the word, to be subdued to Christ is a joy and a privilege. It is to be offered eternal life. It is to be offered a share in the resurrection life of Jesus. It is ultimately to be offered eternal communion, friendship with God. And to hear his word preached is to hear the voice of our dear friend. That is being offered to you right now. If, if you're not a Christian here today, I urge you on behalf of King Jesus to listen to this wonderful news. See what Christ is offering you. Turn away from whatever that the main voice speaking into your life is. Turn away, live, turn away from a life lived for yourself or whatever else you're living for. Anything other than the God who made you. Acknowledge that rebellion against him corrupts the lives of each one of us. Acknowledge that we are, that as we are, we have, we have no right to friendship with God. But in Jesus, he offers us that great gift we don't deserve. All you have to do is receive the gift. Trust in Jesus to provide it. Chris and Tezar will deliver our formal charges to you, Gray, and Congregation of Covenant City in a moment. But Gray, and all who are called to minister in Christ's name, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, I charge you in his name, preach the word. And to all of us, let us listen to what Christ says. Let us listen to this wonderful news. Let us believe that Christ is here and that he goes with us as we leave to live before him. Let us trust his word to change us and to make us more like him. Let us trust that he will subdue us to himself more and more until that great and glorious day appears when he appears and makes all things new and when he is fully and wonderfully glorified and enjoyed forever. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the immense privilege of being in your presence now and hearing from Jesus Christ on his throne. We pray that this word would transform us and change us, would bring us into friendship with you and deepen that friendship with you, that it would subdue us to Jesus Christ more and more, and that you would be glorified in our lives. We pray that you would bless Gray 
as he embarks on this life of serving King Jesus as he's commissioned by him. And pray that we would all be diligent to listen to the word of God and to obey it. We ask these things in Jesus' name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever blessed. Amen.